Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. At this moment, would you listen to a reading of John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the chief steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Have you ever been to a wedding where there was somebody in the wedding party or or in the congregation who had some minor celebrity, or so, but kept enough attention away from the bride that it became a little bit distracting? I've had two of these occasions. One, I was performing a wedding where one of the wedding party was a former quarterback of a team in Georgia. Not yours, Tom, the other one. <laughs> former quarterback who was in the wedding party, and everybody, it seemed like, was looking at him instead of the bride. And then, several years ago, uh, my cousin was getting married in Nashville, and there was, there was some talk that her childhood best friend might make the wedding. But the, her friend's schedule was really booked. It was really tight. She was going to try to make the wedding if she could, but... It, it, We didn't know. Her childhood friend is Taylor Swift. But she might come. So you know what happened? Every time a young man in a rented tux walked down the aisle, every other man ripped his head off, turning back to see if Taylor Swift had just walked in. She didn't even show up, and she was a distraction to the wedding. I had never before considered the detail that in this wedding in Cana of Galilee, 
There is no big to-do over the fact that Jesus is attending. I mean, he's the one that many were going around saying uh, is the long-awaited Messiah, and yet there is no seat up front, no mention of his name in the bulletin, just one more guy eating cheese straws and doing the electric slide, nothing else. This awareness came to me through a biblical commentator I read who had this wonderful insight. He said, as long as there was food, music, and wine, nobody thought about the Lord. John records no special greeting for him. He was not the guest of honor. No one asked him to give a toast or even acknowledged his presence until the wine ran out. That's worth considering. Is anybody aware of Jesus' presence until the wine runs out? That is, do we only think about Jesus when we're crying out in some deficit and some need? And, and that's us. That's, that, that's the Jesus community. How many people do you know at work or in your neighborhood or who are playing with your kids or your childhood friends who just have no place for Jesus or church or faith at all ever. I mean, these central stack poles of our lives that give us grounding and purpose, and most of Atlanta is living in their fat self-sufficiency, unaware that Jesus has the power to transform. I was, in Atlanta, I was in a conversation recently with an Atlanta stockbroker who's not a member of this congregation, and he asked me, why do you think the church in America is in a, such a steep decline? And without reflecting on it very much, I said, because we live in a culture of prosperity and excess. People don't think they need Jesus. Because they think they're prospering and thriving on their own. That was different 50 years ago after the rations and losses and horrors of World War II. People flocked to church. But not people who think they are flourishing on their own. In other words, nobody's aware of Jesus' presence at the wedding until the wine runs out. One of those happy, self-sufficient guys was Skip Masbeck. I read his story recently and found it fascinating. He was, he was managing partner of a law firm. He had argued cases for some of the largest corporations in America. He had hobnobbed with a lot of the uh, political uh, big shots in Washington. He was even the legal counsel for the 1984 Democratic National Convention. He, Skip had reached the summit of every hill he tried to climb, but every morning he found himself slumped in the corner of a commuter train in a tailored suit and an English leather briefcase, and he was sobbing his eyes out, and he couldn't stop. Every day, and he couldn't control it. 
which drove him crazy because he was into control. One day, one of those rogue street preachers handed him one of those little green New Testaments. You know what I'm talking about? He stuck it in his pocket. He decided one morning to read the Christmas story from Luke's gospel out of those little tiny words in that little tiny New Testament. And he started reading, and he got to the words of the angels, Fear not. And he said he suddenly stopped crying. And it was kind of spooking him a little bit because he tried everything. He'd, he'd tried exercise and meditation and self-help books. I mean, he tried it all. So the next day, commuter train again. It worked yesterday, so he pulled it out again the next morning, read the words again, and one more time, this rush of calm fell all over him, and the crying stopped. Well, there are a lot more wonderful chapters about his story that I don't have time to tell. But he was asked to speak uh, to a group at Yale Divinity School and tell his story. And he said in that message, Look, I was still a cynical trial lawyer. So I struggled for an explanation of what had just happened. Jesus, Son of the Most High, had suddenly showed up on the Washington Metro to save me? It certainly seemed like he had. Nobody is aware of Jesus' presence until the wine runs out. But that's just it, isn't it? At some point, we realize our self-sufficiency doesn't work. At some point, we realize we really are not in control. At some point, we figure out we do need saving after all. The exchange between Jesus and his mother is complicated. (laughs) There are lots of explanations and attempts to soften or explain away what seems to be a really harsh harsh exchange in this passage. But here's the part of that that I want to underscore for today. Mary knew that somehow Jesus had the power within him to fix what had gone wrong. Jesus declares that the time has not come for miracles. Instead, he performs a sign. I I guess if your wine glass is empty, you don't care if it's a miracle or a sign. But John's gospel says this is the first of his signs, and we know that signs point to something else. And throughout the gospel of John, John is doing this. John is telling the story at two different levels at the same time. Did did y'all see the movie Aladdin? You can admit it if you're grown and you saw it. It came out when my twins were three years old. Uh, This is an aside, but how how much have you got to trust the editors to let Robin Williams loose on a children's movie? (laughs) The twins were three years old when it came out. I'm in my late 20s. And the twins loved it. But I loved it. 
Because there were two different things going on in that movie. A lot of the Disney movies do this, right? There is this simple tale being told that made Haley and Brendan laugh when they were three. But there were these lines and images and inside jokes going on that were just for the adults. And it didn't interfere with this story down here being told to the children. It just added a richness for those who had ears to hear. That's the Gospel of John all the way through. John's telling this story, and for those who have ears to hear. Level one, on face value, Jesus saves the day on wedding refreshments. But there's this other thing going on. Soaring above the ordinary is a sign with those who have ears to hear. And in this case, the sign involves numbers. The ancient cultures had a fascination with numbers. They had a fancier, much more complex relationship to numbers than we do. Sometimes numbers were just numbers. Five geese are laying, four golden ring, right? Sometimes they're just used for counting. But sometimes numbers were symbols. Sometimes they had meaning beyond the counting. Here, here are a few examples from the ancients. And, and, and they show up in the Bible all the time if you're looking for them. One of them is 40. The number 40. In the Hebrew mind, 40 means a whole lot. It doesn't always mean just one more than 39. 30, 40 means a bunch of them. Kind of like we would say a month of Sundays, we don't really mean 30 or 31 weeks. It's just a, a big long time, right? That's how they use 40. It rained 40 days and 40 nights. Just, it, it, it rained a long time. Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. Now, I don't know if anybody had a daytimer checking them off, but it was, he spent a long time in the wilderness. Moses went atop Mount Sinai for 40 days. You get it. 40 means a whole bunch of them. Three, this one's easy. Three is a number of completion. Beginning, middle, end. Trinity, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And on the third day, three, complete. But there is another number of completion that's even more significant than three. And it's important to our story today. Seven is the number of perfection. Seven is the number of completeness. God creates, in Genesis, seven days. Perfect. If you start looking for it, you're going to find it everywhere. It's like little literary pieces of candy, just all over the place. Jesus on the cross, seven last words. In Revelation, there are seven churches. There's seven days of Passover, seven gifts of the Spirit. It's perfect. So, listen to our story again from the second floor. 
Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. They were Jewish jars. John wants to make that clear. Judaism, not yet complete. There's six. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim, completely full. But there's still only six. He said to them, now draw out and take to the chief steward. So, well, that's got water in it. So he draws out to take to the chief steward, and now we have a seventh container. So they took it, and the Jewish hope is now complete. And when the steward tasted the water that had become wine, did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everybody serves the good wine first. Then the inferior wine after the gifts have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. He said, I know the good stuff. And it's right there. Salvation history has been made complete. Not six, but seven. Perfect, complete, abundant. Jesus completes the Jewish hope and the steward recognizes the fulfillment as the good stuff. And there is more of it than we could have imagined. And as one preacher said, the miracle is not the transformation of the wine, but the transformation of the future. Jesus is here. Seventh container which means the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. In metro Atlanta, there are 7 million people. I imagine that not one of those 7 million people lives more than three miles from a church that is proclaiming the gospel this morning. And most have not been within a million miles of what Jesus came to offer in abundance. They think everything is fine. (laughs) Because nobody's aware of Jesus' presence at the wedding until the wine runs out. But for some... The attempts at self-sufficiency are coming up dry again and again. And life is starting to unravel. And Jesus has come to bring life, to bring it abundantly. Jesus is God's fulfillment, the good stuff. Once you have the courage to admit you are incomplete, he will fix you into overflowing as well. So listen to the words of Jesus on the night he was in the upper room with the disciples and see if you hear it differently on that night. Because you remember the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread 
and blessed it and broke it and said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the bread of life. But in like manner he took the cup, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And Peter, James, and John had seen a symbolic cup before. They knew something of the new covenant. They knew something of a symbol of God's redemptive work being complete. They had seen this cup before. And Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. This is the cup of salvation. Let us pray. Oh God, Mary knew that Jesus had the power to fix what had gone wrong. And some of us need to have the courage to hand our problems over to Jesus as well. To admit, admit our self-sufficiency isn't working. To admit we're broken and need a Savior. So come and meet us where we are. Forgive us and heal us because of Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.